0: By watching history, you can see almost what the next steps are.
1: Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Ray Dalio. He's the founder of hedge fund firm Bridgewater Associates, and he'll talk about his new book, Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order, and how leaders can navigate today's disruptive world and use history to expect the unexpected. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum,
0: and this is Meet the Leader. I sort of have a principle. If you worry, you don't have to worry. And if you don't worry, you need to worry.
1: Today, Ray Dalio is the co-chairman and co-chief investment officer of Bridgewater Associates, one of the world's largest hedge funds, one he founded. But in 1971, he was fresh into his finance career and working as a clerk on the New York Stock Exchange. That August, President Richard Nixon announced a change to U.S. money as it had been known at the time. The U.S. would no longer exchange dollars held by foreign governments for gold. Ray thought markets would crash, but instead they soared, and it turns out that that same pattern has emerged many, many times before with the same effect. 50 years of global macroeconomic investing has taught Ray that we're often surprised by things that have not happened before in our lifetimes. It led him to study 500 years of history, uncovering patterns that emerge decade after decade thanks to everything from economic swings, social change, and global conflict. These insights are collected in his new Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. I caught up with Ray in Davos, Switzerland, where he was kind enough to come into my podcast booth at the annual meeting. We talked about what he's learned from digging into centuries of change and how history can help today's leaders navigate our current turbulent time. I'll let Ray get started.
0: I'm a global macro investor, have done that for about 50 years in all liquid markets in the world. And the world is changing. And I learned it by having surprises in my lifetime that many of the things that surprised me didn't happen in my lifetime before, but happened many times in history. And these three things that are now happening are the creation of enormous amounts of debt and the monetization of that, which is having its its effects, inflation and all. The second is the amounts of internal conflict that are going on. Populism of the left and populism of the right, due to the largest wealth gaps and values gaps, that internal conflict is having a big effect. And the third thing is um, a great power conflict, uh, the rising of a great power in the form of China and the relative decline of the United States, and the conflict between different forces that we're also seeing reflected in the Russian-Ukraine-NATO conflict. By studying the last 500 years of cycles, it's like a doctor who sees many, many cases. And not, it's not just that there are patterns. There are cause-effect relationships. So, for example, um, when there was a great power rivalry, and there's no such thing as a world court or a world justice system, there's different kinds of wars. And traditionally, at those times, there is uh, economic wars of which we call sanctions. For example, the analogous situation to what's going on now is in Japan, they uh, froze the Japanese financial assets, the United States did, and they also... Uh, put on economic sanctions that inhibited the importation of oil. And when we see these things repeat, the internal conflicts in World War II, prior to World War II, because of the economic conditions, there was populism of the left and populism of the right that produced struggles that actually brought down for democracies during that period of time and made them autocratic governments. So when we see not only the patterns, but we see the cause-effect relationships, we can deal with what's happening now. The reason I did this study is because now, today, I have to make decisions on where do I put money, what is likely to happen. For example, an important consideration is how resources are allocated. You know, we've been in an environment where resource allocation was primarily economic and mostly profit-motivated. So there was a world out there, and it was an open world, and wherever it was cheapest to produce, resources would go. Capital would go, and they would build that. People there would earn more, and that may take jobs from other places and so on. And that would be evolving that way. Within countries, it would be the same. We're now shifting to an environment in which there's more ideological or political resource allocation. So you're seeing more issues such as trade restrictions and so on. You could see foreign exchange controls, other matters in which those resources are allocated. Because of this environment of much greater conflict, you're also seeing much more independence and self-sufficiency of countries because they're worried that they could be cut off in the event of a war. That is having a very big negative efficiency impact on the economy, which is contributing to inflation. So these three factors working together on how they work together logically make sense how the machine is working. And we wouldn't have a full appreciation of that unless we saw those patterns of history.
1: In digging into 500 years of history, was there one stat or one fact that kind of knocked you off your feet? You know, history has that effect. Was there anything that really stood out to you?
0: Well, there's, the, there's this story that happens over and over again. Okay, you have a new world order. The new world order and new domestic order comes over a fight by two opposing sides. Then that side wins. Once you have that side winning and you control things, and that war is a great equalizer, and you wipe out debts, Then you begin a period, typically, of peace and prosperity. Peace, nobody wants to go back to the war, and there's also nobody wants to fight with the leading power. And you go through a cycle of raising uh, living standards, prosperity. The Industrial Revolution was like that. The period after World War II was like that, and so on. And then that raises living standards. But what it does is it increases both the amount of indebtedness, And it increases the amount of wealth gaps because wealth is not distributed equally. And when those wealth gaps become larger, it also creates differences in opportunity. For example, those who have more money have more power and they can also help their children better. And so that begins to begin. You have more speculation. You also have a situation where you develop a reserve currency. The dominant power becomes the dominant economic power in the world. And so it becomes the largest trading country. And as it's the largest trading country, it brings its currency. And that becomes the world's reserve currency, because other countries want to save in that currency. And of course, when they save in that currency, then they lend that to the reserve currency country. So that gives them the exorbitant privilege of getting more in debt. And so indebtedness levels start to rise. And so what you see is that three things then tend to happen, that you have um, an over-indebted situation and you lose hard money. That means that you can create a lot of debt and there's not enough money. So how do you pay for that debt? Do you pay it back in hard money or do you print money to have it paid back and it starts to depreciate? Typically, that's the balance between a depression and an inflationary situation. In almost all times in history, in fact, all times in history, when that choice is made, there's more printing of money, very much like we saw in 2020, the need to print the money without the restrictions. And that produces then an inflation set of circumstances. These larger wealth gaps and values gaps produce a greater amount of internal conflict, That's what we saw, for example, in the 30s. And it's populism of the left or populism of the right. Then that was called communism and it was called fascism. But whatever it is, it's populism of those two. And they become irreconcilable differences. That's why in the 30s you saw four democracies, Germany, Italy, Spain, and Japan, turn to having those conflicts and then turning to more autocratic type of systems. Then, of course, there's also differences in straits. When you get in the beginning of the new world order, you have the dominant power. The United States, for example, had 80% of the world's money. Gold was the world's money then. It was half the world's economy and then had a monopoly on military power. Over a period of time, that gap narrows. And as that gap narrows, competitions increase. And as competitions increase, then you have those types of challenges. So you see that when those challenges, as we are now seeing those challenges become manifest, you start to see the financial types of conditions. We need more money. Where are we going to get it from? You either tax it or uh, you print it. And taxing it becomes very politically difficult to do because you take it away from somebody. And so they produce the money and everybody gets the checks, and everybody seems happy because they didn't have the money taken away from them. Um, and they produce that money, And but lo and behold, it produces more inflation. And those conditions become politically more difficult. And at the same time, you have the internal conflict, such as we're having now, populism, which means irreconcilable differences between the two sides. And so we're seeing that. A populist is a person who fights for their side and will not lose. They are not compromisers. The democracy is a means of compromise and and so on. So we're approaching a point where rule of law becomes questioned. For example, it's not inconceivable that you have presidential elections or other elections in which neither side accepts losing. So we're, we're straining the rule of law. And so th- then you also see the international conflict, such as the international conflicts now. You're seeing the world right now break up into sides. The Ukraine-Russian situation is an example of the fact that you could start to see which sides are aligning with other sides. And in all great power conflicts, you know there are alliances of one side and the other, such as the allied powers and the access powers and so on. And you're seeing that transform itself. And by watching history, you can see almost what the next steps are. For example, we're quite close to the next steps being something like economic sanctions on China. Or you can see even foreign exchange controls. Because even though they become inconceivable because they didn't exist in our lifetimes before, they become somewhat logical in this set of circumstances. So that pattern happening over and over again creates a template that you can follow and then put in the dots to see how actual events are transpiring relative to those other events because it's logical. And In other words, military conflict, for example, happens because there's not a world court. There's not a means of adjudicating those types of things. And so as we come down there following that history and so on, It's very relevant, not for the distant future. It's relevant for the near future. Because what's going to happen in 2022, 2023, and 2024, we can visualize those things. And these forces are going to be very relevant then.
1: Is there anything that particularly worries you? Is there something that keeps you up at night? Knowing the patterns, thinking, gosh, this could happen. Is there something that is a cloud (laughs) for you?
0: Yeah, there are three things that are a cloud. And one thing that could be done about the cloud. The three things that are a cloud is um, what is money? Money has two purposes. It's a medium of exchange, and I think it will remain a medium of exchange, but it has a storehold of wealth because that means that one has to put deposits in investments that have a return that is reasonable relative to the inflation rate and i don't see that happening and i'm and you're seeing today the movement of money into other assets how do i protect myself against inflation so i think inflation and the consequences of also a tightening monetary policy to try to control that will have economic bite it'll be a bite because things cost more and it'll be a bite because tighter money will reduce that and i think that that's particularly worsens the wealth gap because inflation is really almost a rich man's word because it implies, oh, it's a problem because you pay more. You pay more because you bid it away from somebody who doesn't have it. And when they don't have it, that creates more social tensions. So the second thing that worries me a lot is the internal conflict that is going to result from this. And we're seeing it in the form of the politics and so on. And the way that we're playing hardball with each other. Certain things like the way that uh, the Disney issue in Florida was handled, or there's talk about Texas prohibiting a bank because of its policies on abortion, not having the ability to sell bonds and so on. So you're seeing hardball play, and you're not seeing compromises, and that threatens the system. So that worries me. And of course, the international wars and conflicts worry me. They worry me even if there's not a shooting war, but they worry me in terms of the enormous inefficiencies and costs and other forms of conflict that exist. The one thing that I think that I wish for is people to put those things as their greatest worry. Because if we can all agree that those are the worst case scenarios, and how would we approach that, which has to do with reasonables in this in consideration? We can deal with that because the world right now has more resources, more productivity, greater longevity. The conditions in the world should be better than they have ever been before if there's not the fighting and the mismanagement. But it has to be really well managed. So I'm worried about that. But I sort of have a principle. If you worry, you don't have to worry. And if you don't worry, you need to worry. Because if you worry, and the world worries about these things and thinks about how we are together, then we can prevent those kinds of things. The book is not a matter of a lot of just words. What it shows is a lot of measures so that you can see the different ways of strengths and weaknesses taking place and so on. So there can be an objective analysis of that. That's what I worry about.
1: On the ground, when you talk about these inefficiencies, you talk about this conflict. Um, How will people's lives be different, maybe in the very, very near term?
0: Well, certainly we're going to have a much greater level of inflation and inefficiency. Uh, But that'll increasingly, perhaps in the next couple of years, could take the form of more supply line uh, problems. Let's imagine that China was sanctioned. 22% 22% of American manufactured imports come from China. And we take for granted. We buy the Nike shoes, we, the, the Apple products, and so on. Now, let's just imagine that that wasn't going to happen. There would be shortages. There would be inflations. It would have an enormous negative impact. It could create much greater controls. For example, it would not be inconceivable to have capital controls. Capital controls would mean that in your country, that you wouldn't have the ability to uh, move money outside the country, or there would be restrictions of how you can move money outside the country. We're coming from an environment in which there was really free flowing of goods, services and capital. And so the world is flat kind of thing, equal opportunities and the money flows, and, and that's how resources are allocated to a world in which those things don't exist, we have to recognize the possibility of military. For example, there's an issue in the Ukraine, and there's a risk of an escalation. And that risk of an escalation could be military in various ways, nuclear or other ways. This is something we will find out within the next several months. The second thing that we'll find out in the next several months is the power of sanctions. Will sanctions, which is really nowadays the only unique American power, because uh, the United States is no longer a dominant military power in the same way, will those sanctions have the effect of shutting down or doing what's necessary so that Russia doesn't have a win? And how will that affect the behavior of other countries? And the third thing is, we'll see how countries align. So as I say, traditionally, There are Axis powers and there are allied powers. And we're beginning to see this based on who's participating in what. And we'll see the pressure that the United States puts on other countries to try to uh, pick a side. And there's greater discussions of pick a side one way or another. You're going to have to pick a side. And so we're going to see how those sides get picked. All of that will be increasingly apparent over the next six months or less than six months. You know, we hope that there could be some kind of a settlement, but it's very difficult to imagine how both sides of this come out winners and become in a sustained settlement. And that could lead to worse conflict, and worse conflict first in economic. So those are the things I think that, you know, we have to pay attention to as Uh, And history provides a very good guide of when countries are in certain circumstances, how they behave in those circumstances.
1: How has this changed you uh, as a leader? Was there anything that you read about a leader in history who managed one of these situations, navigated something, where you thought, oh gosh, that's really important right now? Does something come to mind?
0: I would say that this confluence of situations through history does not produce many examples of reaching out and overcoming these because the population becomes more fighters and wants to have the conflict. So the history concerns me more than helps me. My main responsibility is to be as accurate as I possibly can and position uh, clients, position investors for that. And so this studying of history and relating it to this template and then I follow the dots with has really helped me to do that. While the markets have been doing very poorly, we've been doing very well in this environment to be positioned for that. And that's really what I'm mainly focusing on as an investor because I'm 72 years old and because these issues are very important. I'm passing this information along to others, really, who are in a better position to make decisions regarding policy.
1: Is there an economic trend right now that sort of overlooked? That you know, people are, have been talking about. Of course, rising prices. There's uh, you know, uh, lots of buzz about a potential recession. But is there any kind of uh, economic hurdle or or a trend or metric that maybe you think has been overlooked, isn't being talked about enough, or not talked about in the right way?
0: Well, one thing we haven't talked about is. Um, the tremendous inventiveness that is taking place, really an amazing development because of the use of the computer in its various ways to help in thinking. We talk about AI, but in many other dimensions as well. Uh, There's a level of innovation that's taking place and productivity and the world is gonna change. And from that basis, probably most likely, Is going to improve. Of course at the same time we have interconnectedness on the computer and that creates a greater cyber risk and other risks that go along with it. But I think the world will change in those ways. One of the things that I also studied in following history, I mentioned four factors, the, the money and credit factor, the internal conflict factor, the external conflict factor, and now we're talking about man's ability to adapt and invent. Uh, the fifth factor that was very apparent through history was uh, the impact of nature. And that caused floods, droughts, and pandemics that actually had bigger effects than the other things I was talking about. They killed more people. They toppled more civilizations. And so I think climate change is something that we have to pay attention to. I think that that's a difficult issue. I think we've waited a long time to try to make climate change protections. So we've come up right to the edge of that. And there's very little time. And that's going to be costly because the technologies that have created cost-effective substitutions have not yet really adequately been developed. So there'll be a lot of cost to put into the development of that. And to the extent that there are policies um, that are greener policies that need to be put into place for the environment, that that makes it more difficult. So if you're, let's say, a relatively poor person in a country, you know, you'd rather drive a polluting car than not to drive a polluting car. So the economics that we're seeing regarding that is important and tends to have inflationary effects. So the climate issue, I have no doubt the climate issue, will be on top of the other issues that we're talking about.
1: What is maybe one concrete thing that leaders can do to make the most of these historical trends, make the most of history so that they can navigate this new changing world?
0: The one big thing that leaders could do to make the best out of this situation, to think about that the greatest risks are these wars. The greatest risks are irreconcilable differences that in one way or another are going to substantially hurt the world economy, which will hurt the poorest people the most. And if that's put as the number one thing that must be avoided, and you work between each other so that you could still have competitions, you can still do all of that other competing but you don't cross those red lines that are going to lead to these types of terrible conflicts, that would be the most important thing. If I was a leader of a country, I would want to have a bipartisan cabinet, for example. I want moderates from both sides to try to work together and to not support the extremism. And I would probably set up an economic program. uh, Something where those moderates together create a program that is going to create disruptive change so that the system works well, so that it is beneficial for the majority of people.
1: Find a transcript of this episode, as well as transcripts from my colleagues' podcasts, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcasts, at weff.ch slash podcasts. And if you liked the podcast that we are producing here at the annual meeting, please take a moment to rate and review. We would love to hear from you. And please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with Jerry Johansson as editor, Juan Turan as studio engineer, and Gareth Nolan and Connor Smith driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum in my beautiful podcast booth here in Davos. Have a great day.